as a deer pants for flowing streams, so my so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me all the day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How would I go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise, a multitude keeping festival? Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Those are verses 1 to 6 of Psalm 42, which along with Psalm 43 are the psalms appointed for today, Thursday, March the 24th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along. We continue our look at the prophecies of Jeremiah and then also in the, well, that's chapter 10, verses 11 to 24. In the gospel today, we're in John 8, verses 21 to 32. And the epistle is Romans 5, 12 to 21. So God's continuing to pour out his complaint against the people. And is making clear that he has a case to judge his people. That it's in fact necessary that he judges people and what we don't see and what we need to remember that his judgment is good for his people because it's a way of purifying and cleansing his people whenever God executes judgment this way. Thus shall you say to them, the gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. Well, that eliminates everybody except him. The gods who did not make the heavens and the earth shall perish from the earth and from under the heavens. And so what he's saying is is that, that everything else will perish. There's only one eternal and necessary being in the universe. And it's important for us to remember that. But one of the things that I've been studying a lot lately, let's say, is this idea about the gods who did not make the heavens. They're going to perish. They're going to die. Well, it, it's got, that's got to be more than an idol. That's got to be more than something somebody has made. And so one of the things that, that I'm probably going to start talking about more when I feel more confident and comfortable talking about it is what, who are these gods and what are these gods and what in the world is this referring to? And we'll see it multiple times as we go through Scripture. And, and it, it goes back actually to Babel according to the Psalms, that, that there were gods over places. And these would have been angels. They weren't gods. They were the, the heavenly council. They weren't, nothing is properly a god except Yahweh alone. And so when he says things like this, this is talking about rebellious spirits. He said, it's he who made the earth by his power, who established the world by his wisdom, and by his understanding stretched out the heavens. When he utters his voice, there's a tumult of waters in the heavens, and he makes the mist rise from the ends of the earth. He makes lightning for the rain, and he brings forth the wind from its storehouses. Every man is stupid and without knowledge. Every goldsmith is put to shame by his idols, for his images are false, and there's no breath in them. So one of the things that he's done is, is that this is a very similar, the, the, several of those verses fit, would fit very nicely into God's response to Job. Do you know these things? Surely you do. Surely you were there when I created all these things. Therefore, you must know these things was was his complaint back to Job and, and saying, who is this that darkens counsel without wisdom? And that's one of the things that he's talking about here when he says every man is stupid and without knowledge. And there's a reason for that. 
<laughs> they're not following him. They're not listening to him. And he's speaking here about the images and the idols. They're worthless, a work of delusion. At the time of their punishment, they shall perish. Not like these is he who is the portion of Jacob, for he is the one who formed all things, and Israel is the tribe of his inheritance. And the Lord of hosts, the Lord of the angel armies, is his name. So it's pointing back to, if you would have wisdom, where does it begin? As we're told over and over again, it begins with the fear of the Lord. And the problem is, as long as we're looking other places for wisdom, then we're not going to find it. We're going to find the experiential knowledge of good and evil in a way that, that is not helpful to us. We would be far better off if we could learn by, by just paying attention and listening to God and believing him. But the problem is we don't. And that, therefore, we go astray, and we commit sin, and we pay the consequences for those sins. He says, gather up your bundle from the ground, O who you, you who dwell under siege. In other words, you're, you're, you're hunkered down because you are under siege. For thus says the Lord, behold, I'm slinging out the inhabitants of the land at this time, and I will bring distress on them that they may feel it. In other words, you're actually going to know what's going on. It's not going to be a hidden thing. It's not going to be something that's coming. It's something that you feel. And there's one place that I know of that I can think of right offhand where where God does that same kind of thing. I'm going to bring distress on them that they may feel it. And, and the place where you see that is the plagues in Egypt. And, and the particular plague that he brings that they feel is a plague of darkness over Egypt. There's land uh, there's there's uh, light out in the land of Goshen where the Israelites are, but there's a darkness so thick and so deep that it could be felt over the land of Egypt at that same time. So there's a palpable presence. It's not just darkness. It's not just distress. It It's something that's greater than that. And that's exactly what that image conjures up. He says, woe is me because of my hurt. My wound is grievous. But I said, truly, this is an affliction, and I must bear it. My tent is destroyed. My cords are broken. My children have gone from me, and they are not. There is no one to spread my tent again and to set up my curtains. For the shepherds are stupid and do not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered, and all their flock is scattered. And so when God refers here to the tent and the cords of the tent, and that it can't be spread out again, he's speaking of the land. And he's speaking of his people. They have destroyed all of these things. And so now there's no one to spread the tent again and set up the curtains because the, the shepherds are stupid. They don't inquire of the Lord. The leaders of the people don't inquire of the Lord. Therefore, they have not prospered and their flock is scattered. And it's the same thing, the same sentiment that we saw a couple of days ago in the gospel reading when, when the uh, shepherds of the people, the Pharisees and the scribes, said, as for this crowd, they're accursed, for they don't know the law. And as I said then, whose responsibility is it to teach the law? doesn't matter. You still have a responsibility to teach it, even if the people don't listen. It's still your job and your responsibility to do that. As long as you carry out your responsibility faithfully, then, then it's not landing on you. But if you fail in that responsibility that you've been given, then, then it is on you. And so that's exactly what's, what they're saying here. The shepherds are stupid. They don't inquire of the Lord. They teach without praying and without understanding. 
a voice, a rumor. Behold, it comes, a great commotion out of the north country to make the cities of Judah a desolation, a lair of jackals. I know, O Lord, that the way of man is not in himself, that it is not in man who walks to direct his steps. Correct me, O Lord, but in justice, not in your anger, lest you bring me to nothing. And so the prophet is saying here, I I see it. And I understand that, that we can't know the way. And so what we need is to inquire of you in order that you might direct our steps. Because as long as I direct them, then I'm walking in darkness. And I don't know, honestly, good from evil, right from wrong, without him. And that's why Paul will say the Spirit of God prevented him from going somewhere. It was that he intended to go there, but we always lay our plans before the Lord. And if he prevents us from going, then there has to be a good reason that he prevented us from going. But if he takes us in an opposite direction, as he did, for instance, with, say, Philip, when he took him from Samaria and and put him out into the desert so that he could be there when the Ethiopian eunuch came along. And so we've always got to allow God to direct our steps. He can either bless our plans or he can reject our plans and set us in a different direction, like he did with David, who got the idea to build the temple, and God said no. It sounds like a good idea, but it's not right. So you don't, you don't do this. And I'm sure that it took David some, uh, a little bit of internal dialogue to get to the place where he could say, okay, because he had it in his heart and he had a desire to do something. But, so it's hard when God doesn't give us the things we desire, but he gives us a different desire. It's not that he's, he's mean and trying to keep us from something. No, he's trying to keep us from harm. He's trying to lead us into places that, that we won't be harmed. So in the gospel, Jesus continuing to talk to the leaders here. He said to them, again, I'm going away, and you'll seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself? Since he said, where I'm going, you cannot come? Well, that's a pretty weird conclusion, to be perfectly honest with you. It's a very strange thing to consider. That's what he means. Is he's going to kill himself. Why would he do that? What about anything that he has said would have led you to believe that he was going to kill himself? I'm going away, and you'll seek me, and you will die in your sin. Where I'm going, you cannot come. I mean, he's he's being very clear, at least in retrospect. But but at the time, remember, the Spirit hadn't been poured out. And so we who have the Spirit can read these things and understand what Jesus is referring to. But he's proving here that they don't. They're thinking in, in very, very earthly ways. And he said to them, you're from below, I'm from above. You're of this world, I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. And so they said to him, who are you? I mean, it's a legitimate question when he says, unless you believe that I am he, you'll die in your sins. Well, I need to know what that means. So I need to know who you are. Who are you claiming to be? Just say it straight up. That's exactly what they're asking him. What is it exactly that you're claiming here? But again, this is a matter of his time had not yet come. And he's not proclaiming himself to be the Messiah. It's up to us to determine that for ourselves with the aid of the Holy Spirit, because otherwise we would miss it completely and we would be as clueless in this conversation as these guys are. But if you think back to the conversation that he had with Nicodemus in John 3, you'll see what's going on. You'll see this confusion because I'm trying to understand you in an earthly way. And Jesus says, you can't understand me from that perspective. 
you're, you're still and you're proving that you're not from above. You're not born again. You're not seeing things from a heavenly perspective. You're seeing things and you're evaluating my words based on worldly wisdom. But you're operating in the wrong sphere. It, I'm just proving to you that you've set your sights on and how worldly you've become that you don't understand these things. And he said to them, just what I've been telling you from the beginning. This is an answer to the question of who are you. I have much to say about you and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world what I've heard from him. So he said, I speak only the things the Father speaks. I, I speak the knowledge and the wisdom that I receive from him, much the same as he said before when he said, I do the works I see him doing. He's cooperating with and working with the Father. They did not understand that he'd been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, which is, again, the same image that he used with Nicodemus, that the Son of Man must be lifted up like the serpent in the wilderness. When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you'll know that I'm he. And then I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. It, it didn't seem like that to them at the time when they lifted up the Son of Man on the cross. They didn't come to know at that moment. Then you'll know, he says, that I am he. There was one who made a confession after that, right? It was the Roman centurion. Surely this was the Son of God. So one man saw it. Actually, two men did because the thief on the cross with Jesus says, remember me today when you come into your kingdom. Well, it certainly didn't look like the exaltation of a king to be um, placed on a cross. And it certainly didn't look like that the man on a cross with me was coming into a kingdom. But that man knew it and saw it. He knew more than the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion says this was a son of God. And the thief saw more. Remember me today when you come into your kingdom. It's a powerful witness and a powerful statement. So we know of two people at the cross who came to some degree of faith. One of them thought it was over, and the other one saw something incredible beginning. And so one man saw in that man on the cross who he was, and he believed, I am he. The Roman centurion had half the revelation, but he thought it had ended there. And he who sent me is with me. And that's exactly the promise Jesus makes to us who he sends, that he will be with us even to the end of the age. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Now, that's a huge claim. <laughs> and you can see why they might be a little bit offended by that if they knew that he was talking about God, that, that everything I do is pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you're truly my disciples, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And so what we have to do, what we're called to do is abide in him, and that is um, to, to set ourselves and our lives in him, to, to let him direct our steps, but to ask him regularly to direct your steps, like all the time. Not just once a day, not at the end of the day. Don't just do it in retrospect. No, start your day right there. Lord, show me where to go and what to do and what to say. And I will do my best to listen to you and co cooperate with your way and your Holy Spirit as I go about the day ahead of me. And then sometimes it's necessary in the middle of the day to stop and say, you know what, I think I'm off track here. 
I need your help getting back on track where I need to be because I've gotten consumed with the busyness of the day or other conversations. I've been distracted, which is way too often the case, and, and therefore I need to, to have you pull me back and to, to get my attention again. And the uh, Romans passage today, Paul's continuing to talk about um, the, the power of the justification by faith that, that we have and the redemption and salvation that we have in Christ. He says, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. So we're not being judged for Adam's sin. Sin came into the world, but we need to fight against it, just like God told um, Cain that he had to fight against, that, that, that sin is crouching at your door. You must master it. And, and it's important for us to recognize the part we play in overcoming and mastering sin in our lives. Because what he, Paul says here is, is that uh, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. So death spread to all men because all men sinned. I mean, one of the things in Jewish uh, understanding about the afterlife is is you come into this garden, this heavenly Eden, but you pass through a cave, and that cave is where Adam lives. And and the way they understand it is is that when you die, you pass through Adam's cave, and everybody comes, looks at him, shakes their head at him as if to say, if it hadn't been for you, life would have been so much better. And Adam gets his comeuppance by looking and saying, "Uh -uh, I'm here because of my sin, you're here because of your sin, not because of mine. And so when Paul says this, that you can hear that in there. Sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin's not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So judgment of God on sin is death, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. So what is a sin not like the transgression of Adam? Well, Adam knew. Adam had a commandment, and he transgressed against that commandment. And so what Paul's saying is, is, is that before there were commandments, before that anybody had commandments, much less just the Jews, nope, everybody sins because they do things against conscious, conscience, and they deny the truth, which is God's the creator. And because they deny the truth of God as creator, then they commit all these other kinds of sins that creation should teach you certain things about the order of the universe and how things are supposed to be. And any violation of that natural perceived order then is sin, is Paul's argument as far as those who don't have the law. Here, his, his um, argument is, is that, that Adam transgressed knowingly because he knew exactly what he should should not do with respect to the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And, and he broke that. And he can't blame Eve for that which he tries to do, um, because God spoke to him directly. And so what he says is, for those people who didn't have the law, their sin was unlike the transgression of Adam, but it's still sin. But the free gift is not like the trespass, for if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So he brought sin into the world, and because of that, many died because they all sinned. With Jesus, he says, it's, it's different than that. One man's righteousness gives grace to sinners, those who are trapped in sin. And he has enough merit to save those who believe. There's enough merit there for all human beings. But the, unless you believe, you don't receive 
that free gift. But it's an amazing thing because it is a free gift. We're judged because not because of Adam's sin, but because of our sins. But, but if we're in Christ Jesus, it's the other way around. We're not judged according to our sin. We're judged according to his righteousness. And that's how Paul says this is so much greater. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses, ours, brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many were made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, so that we would have consciousness of sin, so that we would see and and know the need of a redeemer from sin, to know that, that those sins lead to death. Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that, as sin reigned in death, grace might also reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a powerful statement of who he is. It's Paul's answer to who is Jesus. He, he, Adam was a type of Jesus, he, but he was the antitype. And then Jesus comes and gives salvation and life to all who believe in him. He makes promises to us, rivers of living water, that, that we will have light within us, all those things. If we can either receive that or we can reject that. And that's what he's, the complaint that he makes against his people is, I gave you light, I gave you everything you needed. And you rejected me as the source of all that to believe in what? Well, it's whatever you're chasing. And your idols tend to look like what it is you desire. 